water. Earth. Fire. Air. Welcome to Bending the Elements. A production by the Novice Elitist Podcast. With your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. A podcast about all things Avatar. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, those in between and unaffiliated to Bending the Elements by us, the Novice Leadists. We are at episode 16 of book three, The Southern Raiders. Oh boy, we're we're moving through this thing too fast. It's uh, I think it's all the two parters this season. It's making it go by a lot, lot quicker. Too fast and too furious. Can't stop, won't stop. Don't know how to stop. <laughs> uh, but uh, will our gang uh, stop hanging out at the Western Air Temple as we uh, yeah, we see some troubles coming. We've spent a lot of time here, and yeah, I guess we should jump into the story and and see what happens with them here. We begin this episode with disaster befalling the boomerangs, as their haven in the Western Air Temple comes under assault. Led by the Azula attack solo, destruction rains down on the temple. Team A are forced to separate from the rest of their group, much to Katara's sadness, after just recently being reunited with her father. The group of the boomerangs, featuring Zuko and Suki, take off on Appa, while the others take Azula's old airship. Team A arrive on an isolated mountaintop and settle in to make camp. They have a nice dinner, and it seems Zuko is finally accepted as part of the group. All except for Katara, who still can't stomach his company due to the anger of his Fire Nation ties. And because the bonding went so well with Sokka last time, Zuko takes a chance to try and get on Katara's good side. After confronting her to find a way to build a path to friendship, he realizes she's not going to give him an easy open. And after Katara leaves him with a challenge to make up for his past... Zuko goes to Sokka to get the details on what happened the day their mother died. And the more he hears of the tale, the more he centers on vengeance for her death as the road to building their bond. He goes to Katara and offers to help her find the man responsible. Picking up on some of the details from Sokka's story, he puts together that the killer was a member of the Southern Raiders. And after his first target proves to be the wrong man... They redirect to a man who's retired from action, living a quiet life with his mother. But when Katar goes in to take her revenge, instead of finding a fierce warrior, she finds a beaten man, pathetic, enough to offer his own mother's life in exchange for his. With the man cowering in the dirt, Katar finds that she's unable to pull the trigger on her revenge. And although she couldn't get her closure on killing the man, the journey did bring her closure with her rage for Zuko. And in the end, she hugs him and accepts him as part of the group. And we'll discuss all those details and more as we wade our way through the Southern Raiders. The Southern Raiders, yep. And just because I forgot to mention it prior to reading the summary, this one was written by Elizabeth Welch Ehas and directed by Joaquin DeSantos. So familiar pair of buds, and I guess we can we can dive in if we're all at the old timestamp zero. Are you uh, around that area there? I uh, could be. I could be at minus one. <laughs> Who knows? I might be in a similar place. Yeah. Uh, no, exactly. That that may be the case. Press play right now. Oh, oh, geez. 
Yeah, I'm definitely excited for that uh, thing uh, upcoming. Their movie to come in to our theaters soon. But anyway, oh, Godzilla minus one. Okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know if that was what you were uh, saying. Also, I think I just saw Whale Tail Island. Oh, quite the tale of the whale. Yeah, and I guess we're coming. This will be you know one of the rare final times that we see this opening on this podcast. Yeah, we're approaching very quickly the end. Oh man. <laughs> It's like when we do the comics, imagine if you like put this as the intro. <laughs> yeah, just watch it before. Yeah, or or even I don't know if you could do it audio Whistler Sun, if you get it in the audio or if that would or if that would be um uh that would be like copyright infringement. It's a good question. Mm. But book three, here we go. Chapter what is it, chapter sixteen? Chapter oh, sixteen. The one that comes after fifteen and precedes seventeen. Yeah, and following up on after six fifteen. We get uh, Chitsang and Okoda there, and oh, look at them all. I don't see uh, Haru and the Duke and that forgotten group. I mean, I guess you see them in the background, but... Well, no, they're there. You see, you know, you, what are you talking about? You clearly see them at like 137 or 136. Like, there's the Duke and there's um, Haru. I don't see Teo there. But yeah, the Stone Temple pilots are there. They're always present. What are you talking about? Yeah, always present is, uh, yeah, I wish that that was the case, but no, we really don't get much of these guys at all. <laughs> shush um but you know it's 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 a morning it's a quite a, a little foggy of a morning you know and wakes up off of Appa. It's, you know, the birds are they're doing their regular routine on the fountain there so all seems at peace you know like it could be a really good day full of potential uh, maybe maybe may like you know there'd be endless possibilities who knows yeah. until they start fluttering fluttering away yeah, and endless possibilities. Who would guess, out of the endless uh, things that could happen in a day, that a big old bomb or something like that would come flying your way? And uh, even though this this isn't exactly the same, I don't know if you've seen this movie yet, but I was seeing a lot of War for the Planet of the Apes. There's a moment in that movie that feels very similar to this. I have yet to see that film, but I will. Uh, it's on my watch list. And uh, in both cases, I'm sad because I really like the little cute little home that they've got going on here. And now they're now it's being taken away from them. Another thing that the Fire Nation is uh, yeah, stealing from our heroes. They've been snuffed out. They've been discovered. Oh, no. It's like uh, the scene in Fantastic Planet when the Ohm gets caught uh, by the dregs. Mm. Where they like get found out, and they're like, you know, chemical warfare and biological warfare is deployed onto them. Although in this case, it's more chemical, just in the way of like explosions. Yeah, and it, because of the uh, the impact of this temple, this this historical artifact, it's kind of a shame they chose it as their place to hold out because it gets just, yeah, it's it's not going to be uh, in very good shape after they leave it. In fact, it'll probably crumble quickly afterwards with all the explosions just destroying the. Uh, First, what happened with uh, the Sparky Sparky Boom Man happened, and he was gonna like try to bring the whole temple down, and now this, like, oi, this is this isn't good. Yeah, yeah, this another relic of uh, the Air Nation, yeah, family destroyed. How sad. The whole culture itself ceases to be uh, each each day. That is, uh, yeah, that's bad. That's not good. <laughs> But I did like uh, the little like storm shutters that uh, Aang put up once they showed up there. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, at first I thought they were metal, but I guess they're a hardened wood of some sort. 
Oh, I thought maybe they were stone or something, but yeah, I guess it could be wood. Ah, there also could be that. It just, yeah, yeah, no, it is wood. Never, or wood, sorry, it is, is stone. You're right. I, I kind of saw like its consistency when it was crumpling. So I'm like, okay, yeah, it's made out of stone. Yeah, and once, you know, once uh, Zuko gets a look at, oh crap, like who, who's here? I mean, he he's going right to action, especially once he sees, sees Azula. He's like, oh, okay, he's not even thinking about the rest of the group. I don't think he's thinking about taking her on. Yeah, and she's she's full on cackling. She's like a she's a character from uh, Roadhouse. Like, what's going on here? Like, there's something different oh, yeah. about her demeanor. Well, you know, I at this point she's lost her two companions there, and she's yeah she's gone off the deep end. And she probably blames Zuko too. Like, oh, you know, if it hadn't been for you dating May, then she'd still be here with me. And she probably kind of hates him at this point. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, not only that, but I guess the fact that she's or he's now a traitor to the entire Fire Nation, she kind of has full reign to, you know, light him up like a Christmas tree <laughs> uh, or a uh, cedar tree in BC in the summertime. Yeah, or like dropping a, like a penny down a well because, yeah, as he's running to attack. Yeah, he, he doesn't do too well and flips off. <laughs> he he's running, he's running, he's running. He he fires some some fire and uh, oh he and he goes to oh he didn't make it. <laughs> yeah, R.I.P. Oh, that's that's all that's all, folks. Da, 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 da. Anyway, yeah, this is a very. I didn't realize that this was the last episode for Zuko. It's very sad. Wow, yeah. that's a, that's a shame. Um, that's <laughs> that's no good. Uh, wonder how that's gonna occur. But uh, speaking of which, trying to escape through the tunnel or through the mountainside. Excuse me. Uh, thanks to earthbending unfortunately given uh the time in the cave of two lovers up is not having it he's like nope not i i hate caves i'm good goodbye yeah and i mean he was probably being held in them too after he was kidnapped for that while yeah there's that so he's got some yeah ptsd or something oh yeah no he's he's got no therapy's gonna fix this quickly enough (laughs) yeah so he's like like you guys can go your way i'm just gonna stay out here or i'm gonna take off and yeah, unfortunately, it's decided that yeah, that they're just gonna have to split up. Someone's gonna have to go with Appa, and someone's gonna go after that that cool ship that they scored in the last episode. Yeah, I wonder if they're all gonna be able to pilot that. Th- there's a there's a comic to watch to watch. All right, so we have the Stone Temple pilots, we have Chit Sang, and we have uh, Hakoda there, and they all have to figure out how. I guess actually, when I say Tail, Tail is the, the pilot. So never mind. Okay, no, we'll scrap that comic. <laughs> Yeah, and Chit's saying he was a he's a quick study. He was watching Sokka, figuring it out, and yeah, so he's got it from that. Anyways, so it's uh, the original three plus Toph, I guess four as well, and then Suki uh, gets on there as well on Appa, and they they escape. They use uh, some rocks as a blockade and push through. Yeah. By the way, where was Momo? I didn't really see him much during this exchange. He is uh, he's in the Phantom Zone. <laughs> they forgot to animate him <laughs> he's somewhere uh, in deep space but uh it seems as though um i guess the team enter the oh there he is he's at 0435 on katara's shoulders interesting um but anyway uh it seems as though the team forgot to mention not even the team but like the um writers forgot to mention that there was a hot air balloon below Sokka or zuko excuse me when he fell down and hopefully he didn't break his legs when he fell on that thing and used his fire to descend because uh, he definitely like reappears in a very epic stance. I'll say that that's an ep- that's an epic reentrance almost. 
Yeah, it's lucky he didn't just break through the uh, the wood that they're using for this. Or I would even I wouldn't even think it's wood. I would think it was more like uh, like a balloon texture or something. Or not a balloon, but something like that. Like a zeppelin, like a cloth. That's what I would think it'd be. But... Some hard cloth material. Yeah. But uh, once once that happens, he oh he's on it's the fight is on between him and Azula again, and it's it's pretty awesome. And Azula yells down to him, "It's over, Zuko. I have the high ground." But yeah, he 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 quickly rises up, and it's just like, "Oh." <laughs> I'd like to point out one quick moment at like about the five minute mark, like oh five oh five to like oh oh nine a bit. Um, it's just a bunch of blocks that he does of Azula's fire. Yeah. But I really, I really like how they kind of linger. They almost like a slow motion of every time he like smacks it away or dissipates it. It kind of like there's a slow motion almost to it. And like he's, he's being like, it's like a staccato and then he like freezes, but then he goes back. It's very fluid. I don't know why. I, I really just like that moment. Yeah, no, I like that moment too. And I like the, the different color fists as he gets in really close and they're about to punch each other. And he's got a red one, which is kind of natural fire. And she's got her kind of blue lightning kind of, uh, I guess, the dark side fire. <laughs> yep. I thought that was fun. Yeah, of the dark side. Um, and he, yeah, they, so they, they basically have their fists ready and they're burn, burning shot or whatever that one is from Fatal Fury or King of Fighters. And they <laughs> impact with each other. I kind of wish the Zeppelin exploded. I, I kind of <laughs> wish like the impact from that blast just blew up the entire Zeppelin or at least, you know, ca- caused a lot of damage because that's pretty durable. Uh, I guess it's made a CGI. Anyways, as they're falling out of the sky or towards the sky, excuse me, uh, thankfully, uh, there's Katara to bring in the save and hopefully not dislocate his arm when they grab him. <laughs> yeah, and I like this moment. I like I like the animation as they're both just floating down and we see Zuko kind of reserved he's like she's not going to make it watching as azula continues to fall and then like the cockroach that she is you know like a like a cat or something she just can always pull it off you know, always pull through oh yeah no she rolled good on her, her reflex save or fortitude yeah. save so it was like oh no she survived she took uh her hairpin blasted her way towards the mountainside and used and dug it in like a pick yeah and i like that he was almost like disappointed like oh no she made it like she always does has that, you know, Joker esque smile on her of like, Oh, we'll meet again someday. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, we cut away to them, you know, taking some, some rest and unfortunately we don't cut away to the other ship, seeing them take a rest. Wouldn't that be nice? Indeed. Um, <laughs> I, I know that this show doesn't have unlimited time, uh, maybe in the comics. Um, but I do like that. We do take this time to see them kind of relaxing around the fire and Zuko, it gives a surprisingly funny joke and it gets a good amount of laughs for him or uh, I can't remember what the inter- what was the start of this. He was going like, so if, you know, if you want me to make things feel like old times, I could just, you know, run around and chase you for a bit. <laughs> and then like everybody, but Katara laughs. Oh yeah. Because Aang's like, Oh, camping. This feels like old times, which I was thinking too. when I saw them. Yep. That's right. Thank you. I was like, Oh, and then yeah, Zuko brings in that joke of, yeah, let's do, do another flashback. Maybe he'll shave his head and just start chasing him around. There you go. Save for like one part of his hair. I did like that they all laughed. They all thought that was funny. And I agreed. I agree. I think it was a genuinely funny like joke uh, in in hindsight. Yeah, and it's nice to see Zuko lightening up. You know, I, I appreciate that. Uh, but if there's one person who definitely does not uh, does not appreciate it at all, in fact, disdains it, 
that would be Katara. You know, the wet blanket, you know, the the stick up the butt type. The sourpuss. Yeah, I guess you could say that, yeah. And she even has to, she can't just like silently not enjoy it. She has to let everyone know that I, I'm I'm not participating in this. She goes, ha ha. It's like she could have just kept eating her rice. She didn't have to put that out there, but no. Yeah, she could have kept it to herself, but like something was kind of bothering her and she wasn't having it. Even after uh, Zuko did have that brief uh, bit where she he kind of saved her from falling rocks. A, a staple of D&D, of course. Yeah, and it becomes even worse when Sokka, I guess, not reading the room for her. He uh, lifts up his glass. He's like, hey, who knew that this guy who we hated for so long would end up being our hero and, you know, being our friend? And he says, uh, you know, to Zuko, and they all give him their toast. And that, yeah, I think that really just pushes her over the edge. <laughs> and then she, like, picks up her cup of tea and then, like, you know, pours it, like, spills it intentionally or, or pours it all over the grass and goes, here's a roast. And then, like, leaves. She should have just thrown it on the fire. And the fire goes out. Yep. That was her symbol of, I'm against the Fire Nation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, extinguishing you guys out. So, at 06.33, we have a waxing moon. It's getting closer to full. Mm. Set up. Put, that in, put a pin in that. Hey, spoilers. No. <laughs> is that a spoiler? That's just me like <laughs> setting stuff up. What's that supposed to mean and imply? I don't know. <laughs> um, but I do like that, you know, Zuko, he, he's really trying here. He's really, he's living up to wanting to be accountable to who he was before and wanting to make things right. And so he goes right to her to, you know, confront the head, the problem head on. He's like, I've, you know, I've been I mean, he doesn't go about the the best way. He's kind of, he comes off a little whiny, a little mean. He's like, what's your problem, yo? Like, everyone else accepted me. When are you going to get on the Zuko train here? That's uh, that's line for line what he says, I think, actually. (laughs) And he's like, this isn't fair. I want to go to Tashi Station to get some power converters. (laughs) No, and then she's like, yeah, but there's a storm coming. It better get, best get inside. (laughs) Oh, but... But yeah, she she turns around and meets him in kind. She's I mean, she's got no patience for this guy. And she's like, hey, you know, don't forget, I was the first one to trust you. And you betrayed me just the same all the way back in Bossing Say. And he just kind of looks like, oh, crap. Like, what do I say to that? Huh? Darn it. She remembered that. Whoops. Yeah. So when she forget. <laughs> it's like, what can I do to make things up for you? It's like, well, uh, for starters, go back to Bossing Say and reconquer it in the name of the Earth King. Uh, oh, and bring back my mother. Yeah, perform necromancy, um, cure world hunger. Yeah, they, they cut off before she kept going, but yeah, it's a big laundry list. And thus, uh, it was Zuko's quest to go find the do the impossible tasks. How do I solve all that? I think a bit, oh, I don't know. I hear these six stones inside this gauntlet will like fix all my problems with a snap. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something about the 12 tasks of Zuko man. It could uh, be the 12 tasks of Zuko, but that's that's for the, in the comics. Yeah, when we get to All-Star, yeah, Zuko, then we'll see. Yes, no, trust me. I hear it ends <laughs> uh, quite in a blaze. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I guess we're getting away from this here. But um, yeah, so he, after that, that discussion, he's like, okay, I, I really got to get on this. Like, she's not going to give me any assistance in how I can help her. Let's go to my uh, my new my new best friend in the group, my new connection, Sokka, and see if he's got any insights on what I can do here. 
But as he's wandering, wandering over to, to Sokka's tent, he bumps into a certain somebody who looks very shamed to, uh, almost looks like maybe she's sneaking around. And that's the second name that in the featuring column for this group now, uh, Suki. And he's like, he's like, oh, like, uh, like, what are you like? Hey, she's like, oh, that's the wrong tent. He's like, well, you weren't going to see Sokka or and she and she. Yeah, it's kind of awkward there. It's kind of weird because all of a sudden, like, you can hear, like, in the faint distance, maybe coming towards Zuko, like from Sokka's tent, there's like promiscuous girl by Nelly Furtado and Timberland <laughs> playing. It's like, what the hell is going on? And it's. There's a bit of a, there's a little lure to Suki right now. There's like, she's up to something. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. It's, yeah. A little rosy cheeked, a little, uh, yeah. She, her, yeah. Her, her whole like face and demeanor are as red as her, the clothes she's wearing, which <laughs> surprised she doesn't change out of those, but I guess they're, they haven't found any other replacements. So fair enough. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, well, I guess, uh, yeah, miscon- miscommunication or something. I'll just go about my business here. And instead of knocking or announcing his presence, he just wanders into uh, Sokka's tent, which seems quite rude. And then he finds something uh, a little bit surprising there. Oh, seven twenty-two. Yeah, I'm paused on it. Yeah, that's that is one funny face. <laughs> Not as funny as in oh seven twenty, oh seven twenty-four and twenty-five, uh, where both of their faces are just dumbstruck at like the image of. You're not supposed to be who I thought you were. And or at least what the hey are you doing? And why like turn off that racket. You know, immediately like promiscuous girl just shuts down. Yeah, record scratch. <laughs> exactly. He's got like a rose in his mouth and he just chomps it, eats it completely. Uh he ain't he wasn't being kissed by a rose, he just ate a rose. That's uh ugh, ouch. And the way he's laid out, the way he turns around. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a little bit, <laughs> this is quite the intimate setting that we're going oh, into. It really does seem like every rose has its thorn. <laughs> yeah, he opens up his mouth and it's, yeah, just covered in them. Like an old, like Nickelodeon cartoon. <laughs> um, But yeah, no, this is, uh, yeah, this is quite the moment there. And this, he's got all the candles and oh dear. I also like the fact that he had Toph, or maybe it was already existing, but he had either Toph or Aang create like a, a side of the tent, so like a wall. That's that's pretty funny, actually. That's kind of cool, a cool little feature. Yeah, add a little privacy there. He should have added a, a whole door that he could just open and, and unlock. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, just like you knock, you know, and just like open the door instead or something else like that. Yeah, especially if he was having some sort of, yeah, alone time here with, with Suki. I mean... What if Sokka walked in 10 minutes later? Or what if Zuko walked in 10 minutes later? <laughs> Sokka walks in himself. What? <laughs> and we really are de- dealing with like alternate dimensions. But anyway, so quickly as uh, he tries to change the subject, he quickly goes, uh, the doctor is in. Uh, five cents, please. And so <laughs> Zuko like, you know, comes to Sokka being like, your sister, she, she hates me. And I don't know why. <laughs> he doesn't know why. <laughs> She's like, she hates you? Why, when has she ever hated you? And then, like, flashes to the entire series. Oh, I can't imagine any reason. Flash the first episode and all the episodes after. <laughs> but he, Sokka, you know, he's he's just, he likes Zuko. He's p- being polite. He's like, oh, no, she doesn't hate you. Uh, she's just got other, you know, issues to be angry about. And even he even says, oh, she doesn't hate anybody, except maybe a couple, you know, Fire Nation folks. 
And the number one on that list is probably, uh, yeah, probably Zuko. The person that she probably hates the most over Zuko is, is still probably Jet, but uh, Zuko is a strong number two. Yeah, I guess it helps that Jet's no longer with us. So uh, I guess she has to scratch him off his list. She, he's he's knocked off. He's he's no longer <laughs> around. Um, but I was surprised, uh, and I don't know if they continue this, the, the Sokka hair change in this episode. I don't know if Moy was just like, let's just have some fun with him or or whoever was doing that. But it's kind of an odd look for him. Uh, I mean, I've seen it before uh, when, when his hair's not tied. I mean, that's pretty much what it's supposed to look like. Well, I think we've seen it like this this whole episode is just away from his usual style. But but anyway, yeah, that's a side point. <laughs> yeah, so he Zuko came in with with a little bit of thoughts in his mind because of that conversation with Katara. And so he brings up like, hey, what? Can you t- what can you tell me about the the day that your mom died? Which is an awkward uh, point of conversation. Immediately, Sokka's like, whoa, like, why, why are you bringing that up? Why do you want to know about that? So it's nice to see the confidence that Zuko has in their new friendship. So if you tell me how your mother died, I'll tell you how my mother went missing. <laughs> That's what he should have said. Yeah. How about that? Oh, but then we get a little bit of a flashback as we, we jump into the store and we get some Little kid versions of them, which which I think is pretty cute. The day Kaya died. Mm. Oh, joyous. This should be fun. Starts off so innocently with uh, a young Katara and Sokka being, you know, a sibling, a pair of siblings throwing snowballs at each other, probably doing this every single fucking day. And then, you know, instead of a beautiful snowfall, a white snowfall, we get ash and soot dust yeah. in the air that's not good we know what that we know what that means yeah and i i like that they keep this brief and i like the you know it brings me back to that that first season where we saw more of these folks in their their own home but yeah it, it's an ugly little raid there so it's kind of weird because um i don't know what okay this is weird but on my disc it froze no oh. like this this happened to me at like oh nine ten, and actually like oh nine oh nine, where it just starts jittering and freezing, and that stops right before Sokka smashes a well smashes um you know throws a snowball or giant snowball uh, into one of the Southern Raiders' heads. It just stops and then cuts to Sokka, you know, just con- like talking again, and it's like, huh? Oh no! I don't, I don't know if that's on your disc or if that's just on mine. No, sounds like a manufacturing error. Ooh. Groovy, lovely. First my disc box, now my disc. Lovely. Um, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, it, it, uh, you know, he's reliving these events and it's it's not going too hot, but we only get his perspective. We don't actually get like what actually happened. Mm. So that's, that's the first of the flashbacks. And he points out that he only, you know, he didn't even realize that they lost their mother. Like he was there feeling kind of triumphant for a while there until kind of realized what, what really happened, which is quite sad. Yeah. Quite after the fact. Um, and Zuko presses him for something. It's like, you know, using is as hard as it is. Can you remember what the flags were, the symbols on the flags of the ships? Cause that is a key. That is a, that is a key thing to discovering who like it was that murdered your mother said it had the image of a sea raven on the emblem 
Interesting. Okay. He says the Southern Raiders. Yeah. Interesting how we never heard of those guys before, but anyways. Yeah, maybe they maybe they got disbanded. Maybe they were too harsh. They were too harsh. Yeah, they they were extremists. They got excommunicated, like Bane from Dark Knight Rises. Um, no, they're they're still present uh, because they're in this episode clearly, <laughs> uh, or else it wouldn't be called that. But anyway, so Zuko then uh, gets pushed away. It's like, all right, uh, closing time for the Doctor. The Doctor is out, and well. This doctor's out. Doctor Love, on the other hand, he's <laughs> oh, no. he's on the scene. <laughs> yeah, and he looks greasy. He's like rubbing his hands. He's looking around, and he's like, "Oh, Suki, come on back." Does a little whistle, and I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> oh, I hope he's not catcalling else." <sighs> but I do like that Zuko just kind of stands there and listens for a moment, and then he just kind of shrugs, like, with, "Like, oh, like I wish I could be." Maybe he's thinking of May. He's like, I, I miss my uh, my alone time with her. Uh, and then an interesting scene. So, by the way, first off, at like 0955, we have the door. Like, we yeah. actually have a, have a door. That's pretty cool. Never actually seen that kind of thing before in a tent. Okay, sorry, but that kind of door probably exists in tents, but not the ones I've had. And I wonder if she's thinking when she comes out and sees him and he tells her that he's been there all night. It's like, wow, has he been like listening to me snoring in here? Like, oh, man. Actually, uh, when he was sitting outside her tent and he kind of was slunched over, this is maybe just me, but I thought, oh, this kind of reminds me of uh, in The Iron Giant when um, uh, Mansley, um, uh, Kent, excuse me, Kent Mansley, when he's, you know, sitting and, you know, keeping an eye on Hogarth so that he doesn't escape to go warn Dean and the giant of the army's presence and going to see him tomorrow. Uh, it just reminds me of that when he's just like, he finally falls asleep just while sitting upright. <laughs> But I do like her little tent door, and I like they've all got their tents in general. I feel like uh, sometimes we just see them like sleeping around a pile. I guess like we did in the, the the first moments of this episode. So yeah, no, I mean they could be, you know, they could fall asleep on like a park bench while it's raining, and you know, sleep for a bit. Like that's you know, there's always that option. <laughs> well, I don't know how many park benches they got around this mountaintop, but no, that's definitely true. But they could just fashion, they could just like sleep on a rock or something like that and then fall asleep to the rain. But yeah, so he, she's like, like, I don't know why you wait out here all night. And she goes about, you know, brushing her hair and she looks pretty troubled. Like, she's like, oh, like I hate having to interact with this guy, which would suck. You know, it would suck having someone around that you just like, just hate and being forced to deal with them all the time. I think many people have to deal with that a lot. Yeah, that that's that's a, that's a real shame. It quite is, is it not? However, uh here's the thing. He uh he brings her news and that he's yeah. discerned or at least believes he knows who it was that killed her mother. Yeah, and she takes that just with shock. She's like, "Whoa." But yeah, it's she, at the same time, you know, her anger immediately switches back on. But now it has a another target to aim towards. And she marches right over to uh, to Aang. She's like, OK, you know, hand me over the keys to Appa. You know, I need to take him away for the weekend. <laughs> Come on, at least Sokka and Zuko had the decency of using that hot air balloon, the smaller <laughs> hot air balloon. Excuse me. That's right. Yeah. And Aang was like, hey, I better not, you better bring him back in, you know, in top shape. I don't want to see any dents in uh, his, his tail or, yeah. I swear, if he comes back from the Trolls second movie and he looks like one of the Trolls, I swear on my life. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and as we see Sokka listening in the conversation as 
Qatar is putting it to him, what, what they're going to do. I do think it's sad seeing him over there. There's something about that just kind of captures me a little bit. Just him working on a necklace for Suki, and then all of a sudden he hears his sister being kind of having intent almost something amiss where her like her inflections within her voice kind of sounds aggressive assertive like there's you know murder and an intent on her in her in her being oh yeah you could feel it absolutely the performance i feel like it's definitely yeah taken up to a different level which i appreciate uh, quite an intensity uh to her right now and Aang, too, you could tell he's very troubled by seeing this in her. He's never seen this side of her. Yeah. And he's like, I know what you're feeling. I understand this pain and rage, but, you know, maybe murder. You know, maybe that's not the the path. And she's kind of, she's not exactly, well, I will, I will not say in the right mindset, because, you know, it's not like any of us haven't been to this place before, but... You know, she she immediately is like, and you don't understand. And it's like, yeah, I feel like he does. It's maybe not the same because, Guitar, you're not the only person who has lost somebody. But that does not mean that, you know, I, 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 it, it means little to what, you know, Aang lost or what to anybody else lost. Um, but it's like, yeah, he's lost his culture, uh, his peoples and, yeah. uh, the fact that he, you know, he's, he's not putting all the blame on himself for every death within the past hundred years, but he definitely feels like, you know, he has a responsibility to make up for all that. So, whereas obviously this is, well, this is an important thing. This is kind of, again, a lot of people can relate to something like this when it comes to uh, a murder of uh, of a parent or somebody very close to them. Yeah, one that she pretty much was pretty much witnessed. I mean, that makes seeing looking the murderer in his eyes. That's yeah, that's a different. I mean, as much pain as as Aang has suffered, yeah, there's a different level of I think rage there when it's not just faceless murders, but yeah, someone right there and. Aang even points out like that this doesn't sound like you want to get justice at this point. This sounds like like Jet. This sounds like revenge. And yeah, we all know how Katara feels about Jet, so she does not like that <laughs> association. Saying that he attacked the innocent and this man, this 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 monster, was not innocent when he murdered mo- uh, our mother. Yeah. Ah, uh, revenge. A worthless cause or maybe i'm full of crap and that's not true yeah and oh boy yeah now this this heavy little scene here especially when when Sokka steps in and he's like hey you know she was my my mom too but murder i mean i don't know and then what does Katara respond you didn't love her the way i did like oh boy that's yeah she's not exactly Okay, I'm not going to say in the right, but she's definitely uh, thinking for herself more than others. And I like that Zuko, you know, he's, I mean, he, he's leaning into his darker impulses here for her benefit. Like, he understands where she's coming from. But I like that he's, you know, giving them their space to present the other point of view. The social battle, the, the ideological conversation continues as Aang mentions that what needs to happen here at least for for katara to i guess you know 
find peace with this is to forgive. Uh, and that that is one of the hardest things to do. Uh, instead of taking a life is to forgive somebody for what they have done, especially after a lot of time has passed. That's something... That's something else. That's uh, that takes a lot of character and a lot of willpower uh, to do something of that nature. And I even like how uh, as soon as Aang starts making that speech, he kind of the, the wind starts picking up, and you can see like the wind flow within him and Sokka and Katara's uh, hair and and clothings. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, nice little moment there. <laughs> but I do think it is interesting that Zuko is pushing so hard for this because. I mean, he's his whole journey has been maybe not leaning into his more violent instincts and learning to walk that that more pacifist path that his uncle was always pushing. And to see him going so hard, like, oh, you know, her being here and forgiving, that's the same as doing nothing. It's a little bit like, ah, oh, no, Zuko, maybe this maybe this isn't what you should be preaching at this point, knowing your own regrets. Almost taking the role of Iroh and perverting it, or at least going in the wrong direction. If Aang is the, you know, is channeling the good intentions and the, you know, how Iroh would act, I I think uh, Zuko is taking it in a different direction. In fact, I don't even know if, how, how would Uncle Iroh react to this? What would he say in this matter? Uh, he would probably just say, you know, you can go, you can kill them, you can fill that bloodlust, uh, but it's not going to bring you the peace you think it is. I'm sure that's what he would say. I think this is a good example, now that I'm thinking about it, it is a really good example of the scene in Empire Strikes Back when Luke goes to the cave. Mm. And all Yoda says is, your weapons, you will not need them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So at uh, 12.03, she soars off in a huff before that. Excuse me. She's like, you know, she's still going to go through with it. Uh, Even if even if uh, Aang's logic is sound, she's very emotionally distraught. I'm not saying that's a character flaw or anything like that. I'm just saying in this state, she's, you know, definitely thinking with her emotions on her sleeve. But at 12.03, we have, again, the moon waxing again. Mm. The full moon is coming. Yeah, and she and Zuko are preparing to take off, and Aang and Sokka come to pay them, pay them a, a visit and give one last kind of, you know, I don't know, motivational line or piece of advice. <laughs> and he's like, uh, and she's like, don't try to stop us. And Aang's like, no, no, I'm not here to try to stop you. I understand that this is something you need. You need to face this man. Uh, but, you know, he kind of pleads with her to not choose vengeance not choose violence in this this situation yeah no if you do this you may not be coming back uh i also love it like 12 18 you can just see as ang's you know all cheerful in in this in this uh this one sense or in this one scene Sokka's just got like you know blank stare and whatnot his eyes are like you know squinted he's kind of looking like long shot there it's uh, i don't know it's kind of like that design that little design yeah but ang's ang also goes on to say like it's fine, vent. You know, let your let your anger out, uh, but you know, don't don't kill him. You know, forgive him. And Zuko in the corner is like, "Oh yeah, sure, that's what we'll do." You know, Guru, goody goody. And I was again like, "Ah, they're they're." This feels a little bit like. I mean, I get that he's trying to be the what Katara needs right now, but it's going a little bit against some of the stuff that we've seen him 
do in the past couple episodes in terms of his arc. It's almost like this episode may have been written out of order. No, I I think they just weren't quite being as careful. Like I get again, he's really committed to wanting to be who Katara needs right now and being with her point of view. They just maybe didn't need to push it as far. Like we just didn't need that line. <laughs> or or I just thought of this. Zuko is back to his old tricks of like, what must I do to satisfy you, father? How can I, mm. how can I please you? How can I, you know, not, uh, how can I not make you angry? How can I be forgiven? People please their Zuko. Mm. I guess that, I, you know, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's what happens, I suppose. And how it, this whole thing started, right? Because, you know, he first spoke out a line. And then, well, for good reason. And then, you know, his father got peeved at him and then had an Agni Kai duel with him and, you know, melted his face off and banished him to find the Avatar and to restore his honor and to find the Avatar. So what is he? what must he do to restore his honor with Katara? Mm-hmm. It seems as though he will do whatever it takes to do that because... It, loyalty is important to him and even having her as a friend is is means something to her to him even if he must go back to the old ways of zuko and go into his dark side and yeah reach for things that are unpleasant but Sokka's impressed with ang and his words of wisdom and it's like yeah same with me i'm i'm actually also impressed with you know all the words that ang's been saying it's like sweet this is uh Wow, Aang, you uh, you know exactly what to say. And then afterwards, Sokka's like, "So can I borrow Momo for a week?" What? Yeah, it's like, what does what does he need him for for a week? Like, what? But either way, uh, we see we see a pretty beautiful shot actually of uh, Appa rising above the moon. I think that the stars looked really pretty there, and yeah, Katara has this very fixed expression. She all she can think about is people's blood and maybe what she could do with it we'll see 1301 the full moon and then behind that you can see the dreamworks kid throwing the uh fishing rod (laughs) yeah and if you look even before that you'll see elliot and et up there (laughs) i forgot about that yeah i get get it and then it's like that's no moon ah crap (laughs) oh no (laughs) and if you look too you can actually see uh you can see princess ua uh weeping oh uh, whatever's oh. going on with Sokka and, uh, <laughs> and Suki. Oh no, no wonder it got full. He, She knows what's happening. Uh-oh, that's that's no good. She's also filled with the rage, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh hey, there's the second star of the right in Sphere until morning. Interesting, I found Neverland. Anyways, so oh, no. uh, first, uh, the plan. So this is kind of cool. This is a cool little bit where they have to go to a communications tower where all of the messenger hawks are. Uh, mm. So they can get a uh, beat and discover the maps uh survey charts as to what the um was as, as to where the southern raiders are positioned and what their movements are yeah which i, I thought was a cool little bit and i, I love the uh her making that little surfboard with the ice for their their little ninja routine sneaking in there yeah that little raft this whole thing i, I love their outfits by the way how it's like just stealth mode where they have these like gators around their neck it's and and uh noses it's it's awesome i love it yeah and i like this little way that the bending is used throughout this little 
uh, invasion here, or uh, what's the word? Uh, not invasion. Um, infiltration. Stealth mission. Yeah, infiltration. There you go. Yeah, like we, they're creeping around in the vents, and she sees someone writing, and so she tips over the uh, the ink using the water in the ink, tips it over, and so the person will leave the room. I think all that stuff's fun. It's great. They've discovered the patrols as to where they are, and it's good old Whale Tail Island. Whale of a tail. Yeah, old Whale Tail. We haven't seen that in quite a while. Yeah, all the way back in like book one, chapter three, I believe, or something around there. Oh, wow. That's a long, long time. Yeah, something like that. Or at least whatever uh, Aang was mentioning. I think he mentioned it in like actually episode two when it's like, where do you want to go, Aang? Oh, you know, like all down here. And so we see them take back to the skies and and really at Katara, she's she's leading up all night long. And, you know, she's she's got those big bags under her eyes and Oppa's probably got the same. So it's been a tiring journey uh so she's a female southern warrior i guess because she's no female prisoner scorpion so at this point because it's a revenge film by this point so it's like oh i see okay i was wondering like why you bring that up yeah because <laughs> this is revenge it's rampage let's go not not really yeah and when i mean rampage i mean the rampage from uh that archer had in uh i think it was season three or four after he got cancer it's like Oh. And they were like scamming a bunch of people and withholding a bunch of like cancer medication for a friend of his. So it's like he went on a rampage after that. I think it was the Irish mob anyways. And uh, just like any good revenge movie, we get the flashback, the flashback of the brutality that's inspiring the bloodlust. Flashback number two. Uh, so this time from obviously uh, her perspective and she goes to her house, her tent and there's Kaya, whom we finally see a bit. Uh, we had previously got a potential like clue and or like you know a, a sort of a look of her back in the swamp, if you remember. A uh, bit different though. And this time we see her in the flesh, and there's a man in the room, and it's not her father. Uh, yeah, no, this, and they they do a good job like fixating on just the side of her the face that she saw and especially the eyes and you can feel like it was such a thing for her memory that she everything about that guy that she saw she fixated on and saved in her mind and just that creepy eye like oh yeah that's yeah that, that's 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 so it's a little unnerving that little moment it's a very short little moment there but just yeah the, the context of it adds such a weight it's interesting how this could have been the face of the villains for her. Like this could have been like the face of the fire nation for her the entire time mm. throughout her like whole life. Mm -hmm. It wasn't this was just retrospective. So, you know, don't, don't, you guys didn't need to do that, but um, the man, you know, tells her to leave. Her mom tells her to leave. She leaves. She goes, gets, she goes to get her father. They come back and a flashback. Yep. And, as they're ending the flashback, they're coming pretty close to their their target here, this ship. And not wanting to disrupt their, their stealth mission here, they decide to go underwater. And I do love Appa's little air bubble that he's got <laughs> for his head. I think that was pretty cute. And I like that Appa, you know, he he's participating in the, the stealth. And he's like, okay, I'll quickly shape this around my head, my little air bubble. I thought that was fun. But just as uh, just as Chirrut Inway uh, was able to discern that Cassian Andor had um, the dark side surrounding him, 
when he was going to kill Galen Urso. So Tudazapa feel that presence, although he doesn't really do anything about it. Um, <laughs> but in this case, no, they they find the the ship with the Southern Raiders on it, and you know they're just there's a bunch of guys are on the deck, and I gotta say they're they're designed for their their unique helmets, I suppose. <laughs> it should kind of remind me of uh, Yu-Gi-Oh card called Elemental Hero Avian, uh, just because they have, and even like I'm also seeing a bit of like. Um, was it Har- Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law? Oh, wow. Yeah, I can see it. And, of course, obviously Hawkman. So uh, I'm getting all those kind of like Hawk vibes. I, like, it, they said, you know, um, Sea Raven. So I, I, I get that yeah, and so they, idea, but God. Yeah, they quickly knock all the guys off that they can off, off the top of the, the deck. They're exposed with their waves. And then they start the raid. They run in. They go through the hallways. They're attacking some guys. I like that guitar has got those creepy like uh, tentacle water arms and she's just feeding right through. She's she's going right for her target and Zuko's going to kind of take care of the side pieces that they run into. She's taking names. Oh man, he's like, you know, hip hip checks a guy like into a whole bunch of barrels and then like closes the door on him and uses the sword as uh, to lock the door. That's pretty cool. Also, I don't know if this was a shot they intended to do, but when it was a quick one. So when she rises initially out of the water from with, with Appa at first, I was like, is that a, is that a like kind of a shout out to the descent? Oh, interesting. interesting. Maybe even though <laughs> she's ascending, but not really descending, but anyway. And so they burst into the room and, you know, Zuko, he, he steps forward and, you know, he kind of does the talking as she stands in the back with just this, this raged ex- expression. And they have a minor little fight. And then all of a sudden, the fight starts to turn. You know, the guy tries to f- throw some firebending at their way. And then his hand starts to shake. And even Zuko looks over kind of like, oh, like, oh, no, what's what's this? I did not expect whatever kind of attack you're doing to him right now. And he looks kind of horrified. But she's she's got that bloodbending. She's got it down. And she's enact- enacting it very callously and coldly. <sighs> Well, she tasted it. Yeah. And now she's using it. And then she she can't even seem she seemingly can't speak to him. And so Zuko again does the talking and he's like, remember back to your last raid on the, the Southern Water Tribe. And then this guy's like, oh, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was never there. Yo, oh, that was my brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, Looks her in the eye. She looks him in the eye, sees the fear in his eye and goes, that's not him. Yeah. And again, I do really like the, the role that Zuko's playing as the assistant in this vengeance. Like he, you, you can tell he's getting, he's getting into it too, that this isn't just about her trauma for him. This is about his own issues as well. And so he can kind of feed that energy in there. And he, he's got the hate coming out to this guy <laughs> too. No, he's again, he's, he's really trying to, you know, <laughs> am I doing good guitar almost as, you know, as like he's, he's trying to satisfy her in a way like, you know, to yeah feed on this, like this is emptiness she's feeling and, and wanting to get this revenge. And then again, I wonder if as well, he's also doing this because he lost his mother to the fire nation as well. Mm. Yeah. So is this his way of coping with that? It's not it's not gonna you know close the wounds definitely not but is this his way of also closure 
or at least helping somebody else out. I definitely don't know, but he is playing the role of uh, not the corrupter. I wouldn't say that, you know, from my, from a Shakespearean yeah. play, you know who I'm talking about, uh, where he's the one that would uh, feed into the, uh, the, the antagonist's ear. He would, he would speak, whisper into their ear as to what to do. He's not, he's not doing that definitely, but he definitely is kind of getting them to push forward with, with this sort of stuff. Yeah. A very active assistant filling in the roles that maybe she's not capable of just because the emotional strain, you can have a little bit of that distance, but you can still feel that his own seething kind of rage underneath. Yeah. It's a dark dynamic. And I, I think it's really interesting. The two of them in this. Yes. No, there's, there's a lot of negative energy here too much negative energy here. Yeah. We proceed forward uh, to the fact he gets his information from this current captain of the Southern Raiders as to where the pre- his pre- predecessor was, is. Yep. We cut to an island, or at least, you know, uh, undisclosed location. Small little, little town, almost, it would seem. To a man gardening. Very simple life. Yeah, and one of the things I like right up at the front here is they almost try to make you feel bad for him because yeah, he's living this simple life and he's living with his own mother and his own mother treats him like garbage. I mean, she's berating him the way she talks to him and she's speaking to him is like this, this useless like burden on her. And you can see like, he feels, you know, he's like, okay, like he's diminutive to her, uh, but he's, he's no fan. <laughs> The man who once had all the control or never really had control at all because there was somebody else who had that control and that is his mother. And I've, I think there's people out there who know of, of a person like this. It's Mm. yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard for you to see that where it's like, Oh boy, that's, that's ugly. Yeah. And it's in a way it's like, he's yeah, maybe he's already had his, a vengeance put to him. He, he has to live this misery with that mom. But at the same time, maybe that's the motivation for what brought out his cruelty as well. His upbringing by that, that woman. Is it nature or is it nurture or a bit of both? Well, I still believe it's a bit of both with everything. But even though he's living the quiet life, you know, his, his skills as someone who lived in that, you know, place where danger was always around. His, his his skills and his senses are still a little sharper and he starts to sense that someone's watching him, someone's following him. And so, yeah, we can see that he's, he's still sharper than he may appear, even though he's old and washed up. Yeah, situational awareness has not fully gone away. Uh, it's still there where he suspects that something's amiss, as I said before, uh, that something is different about today each day may be the same as last but there's something odd about this one where he could be being followed yeah and it climaxes in him you know blasting a tree in the rain oh boy and uh not being there yeah i just want to point out and then he turns around and it's somebody else <laughs> <laughs> yeah he just burnt someone who was just trying to deliver his mail it's like, oh, it's like that SpongeBob episode where it's just like, I know you're trying to sell me something. And it's like, darn it, he was onto us. <laughs> I do like that um, there's a moment when he turns around and he's going down these steps. He's like, hello. And then we cut up to Katara and she's like, that's him. That's the monster. And just her look. It's like, yeah, she she's dehumanized him now. And he's just this beast to be uh, put down. 
It's like, ooh, that's yeah. The, her look was quite quite fierce. I also want to say a uh, big shout out to Jeremy Zahn again, or, or John Zuckerman, mm-hmm. excuse me, uh, the 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 composer for this episode or for this whole series. Yeah, I love the little like you know bit he does uh, with this scene uh, of how kind of haunting it is, and and there's a bit of a, like a, a tensity to it of just like even though we know that uh, our characters are looking for this character. Uh, we we have it from his perspective almost the whole time, and mm-hmm. there's this there's this unsettling nature to it, and I I really like that of almost it being like a horror film, like it were Psycho. Yeah, yeah, just it it definitely lives up to, especially for a kids program, of living up to the severity of these kind of vengeance stories and no glorifications, looking at the darker element of what this kind of vengeance is. And as a big fan of vengeance movies in general and vengeance stories, yeah, no, this this has hit my sweet spot, and I'm I'm liking all this a lot. Yeah, especially like how how much they can get away with uh, it on like a you know family channel. Yeah, well, they they the introduction of bloodbending in general, and especially that vengeance story as well. I mean, yeah, they're pushing their bounds. I would think this, but <laughs> the elements and the the atrocities of war. Yeah, war is ugly. Yeah, but as he, you know, he, he thinks that maybe he uh, was maybe just imagining the fact that he was being followed after his blast didn't land. But as he turns around to keep walking, he trips over a little trap that they set for him, a little line, so he can fall face down in the mud. And that's when the confrontation comes. Zuko, like, gets behind him, trips him up, and then holds him at bay as Katara, you know moves in, takes off her mask, and goes like, do you remember who I am? And he's like, who? Do you have any idea how much that narrows it down? <laughs> or you killed my mother. You know how much that narrows it down? Um, oh, no. And then, and then she, and then he goes, and then she, and then he goes, ah, yes, I remember you. The day M. Bison graced your village, blah, blah, blah. But for me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> Oh no! See, I, I was gonna say what this scene did—that uh, we were just actually just talking about this when we did Rogue One a little while ago on our other podcast. Uh, uh I had mentioned actually tune in Monday if you if anyone wants to listen to the Novice Leaders Film Podcast us talking about Rogue One. It's dropping on Monday from when this releases. Um, yeah, we we talked about at the end of that film. Jin Erso says the same thing to to Krennic, the villain she she's basically it's like you know who i am or actually he says like who are you and then she's like you know and then she has to explain they do it so much better here where she goes you know who i am and he's like not sure and then the more he looks at her he's like wait a minute no i know because at that moment even though maybe it was just a regular day of killing it still meant something it still mattered to the the villain here unlike with krennic it was just like oh no i just you know another passing day who cares about you Yeah, no, I just, it was, uh, yeah, done in this one a lot better. And it was one episode as well, uh, giving all this one episode, giving, giving, giving us all the information we needed in this. Um, and that it was, yeah, it was, it was done in a different sense. And I think this one is a lot stronger. I think we both agree with that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Much stronger. And, and of course, uh, as he says, like you're the little water tribe girl. Yeah, uh, we have lightning crackle in the background, and we get 
the third flashback, his perspective on the event. By the way, his response and her face when he said that perfect vengeance movie moment of the the person realizing that, oh, it's it's finally come for me. My demons have finally found me. I think that's great. The abuser finally becomes the abused or at least uh, will be the killed. Yeah, because I think it's always important for revenge stories that the villain, they know that they're a bad person and they know that one day potentially yeah, that darkness could turn around and come for them. I think that's a pivotal point of those revenge stories. So. Murphy's Law and Newton's Third Law are going to come down so hard on them, they would rather be pulled into a black hole. Yeah, but I, I but like you mentioned, we, we go into another flashback, and I, I think this is an important one as well, because we, we discover that, you know, he's there to, they're there in general to eradicate all the, the last waterbenders in the, within this tribe, and she basically died covering up for her daughter. I think that was really important as well. Here's my question. And maybe this is, this means absolutely, I'm, I'm just like, you know, missing the, the entire point of this, uh, for the fact that Kaya, you know, made the ultimate sacrifice for her, her daughter, basically. Um, he says his source. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. What does that mean? Exactly. Like, is there a mole of some sort or what? Like, how do we know that? Because how did we know that Katara was a waterbender? Shouldn't we have seen that in like one of the flashbacks? Okay, sorry. You know what I mean, though, right? Like her waterbending and just like she was so obvious with it. And that's why she was told to suppress it because of this. Mm -hmm. It turns out that, yeah, he will not leave uh, unless, you know, he... She gives him the name of that which is the waterbender. And like I said, the ultimate sacrifice says to him that it is her. Yep. And she's like, go ahead and take me prisoner. And he says, I'm not taking any prisoners today. And then he pulls out a giant samurai sword and we see it slice and then the screen goes red and fades to black. <laughs> that was my just my fantasy coming in. Dang. <laughs> Dang. Um, but either way, you know, he, I guess he relayed this story to her and then he, he gulps or maybe it was just his memory. I'm not sure. I think he relayed it. What do you think? Uh, oh, you're saying like we potentially may have an unreliable narrator. Well, I just don't know. Do, do you think he relayed that to her? Uh, it could have just been from his memory. I don't know if he, but I know what you mean. Like if it just was a flashback that he had in his mind or if he did tell her, like straight up and like like if you remove that flashback would the scene flow together still like uh in in, in a continuity standpoint yeah yeah it's mainly because katara's response when she's like she lied to you you know she's protecting the last waterbender which was me that's why i wonder if she just kept going and saying that or if he had brought it up and that's why she said that uh yes katara the last uh waterbender uh, in parentheses of the Southern Water Tribe, <laughs> look for that book available in 2027. But I do love when she said it was me, and she stops all the all the little rain globs around. Like, oh man, that's a that's an intense moment of power there. Oh yeah, no, that's that is a moment of ostentatious power display uh, in the right of like I am no longer the you know helpless little girl. I mean, makes sense because she was she was a child at that point. I mean, she still is a child, but like she was a child at that point. So, of course, she couldn't really fight back. 
now she has that power to fight back. I don't know if she can bloodbend uh, at this point. I assume it's literally like I know they gave us the rule set, but I'm assuming like she had the moon, the full moon has to be present, not present somewhere else. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I wondered if it was like a, a more of a purity thing now. Now that she's having this real confrontation again, has the strength to speak for herself and have this real confrontation and wanting to prove the strength that she's become as a waterbender, having flourished, doing that giant display of creating that dome and then these these blades that she stops right by his face. I thought it was more like, look how, like you you failed so much, look how powerful I've become as a waterbender. Maybe the bloodbending would be a more corrupted display rather than a proud one. That's what what I was thinking. Yeah, there is that. I also thought you also meant she was going to talk only through bloodbending. In this case, she's not going to talk through bloodbending also because it's in the you know daytime. And maybe she also you know lost her chance because you know you, you, she may not be able to bloodbend tonight. But anyway, mm. um, they, they, she wanted to get him now. So regardless of bloodbending, but... Yeah, no, he whimpers. He he cowers in fear of what may happen as she sicks a bunch of icicles on him and stops him before, or, you know, not right below his neck or his, his eyeballs, but definitely around his character. Yeah, and I think in terms of animation, I think they did a great job when he, you know, gets on his knees and he, he does this little head shake when he's like, I did a bad thing. I think that little head shake, and even the fact that he said those words, I think, again, was all really well captured. And again, it feels very true to so many revenge stories. Just that and now that he's old and washed up, he's he's no longer that kind of hardened uh, killer that he was on that day when he is like, I'm not we're not taking any prisoners today. Now he's just this this coward just hanging out in the mud. And he's even like, oh, you know, you know I did a bad thing. You know, it, it's fair that you want some revenge like we, we could. Uh, I killed your mom. You can kill mine. And. We, you could let me go. That'd be fair, right? Like he's just so diminished, this guy. Quite the definition of pathetic. Uh, again, another form of war uh, and what it does and how it shaped this person and gave him purpose. And apparently it wasn't even that before he, with the war. He was never in control. He was never in charge. Mm. It was all a game. His, everything else had control over him including this girl. And now it's in her hands are uh, holding his life on the line. And she's like, nope, time to do the sensible thing and make you live the rest of your life. Yeah. And I think there's something seeing him in this state. Maybe it feels like her vengeance was already stolen. You know, that killing someone as worthless as him, someone as empty as him inside. Well, what joy is there to have from that? He's already become a husk of, you know, that man that she saw that day. And so she's like, okay, I, I can still hate you, but, you know, I'm, it's not worth me lowering myself to, to remove you from, from living. It's not the same man. Mm. This has become a different man. And so she's like, I can't do it. I just, yeah, you are shadow of your former self. And yeah, I leave you with your life as you want that to live your life, you know, in this, you know, I guess like down to earth life, but in still in this like pathetic demeanor and with your mother bossing you around and just has, I don't know if she has pity on him, but definitely like, yeah, just leaves with a look. Zuko also leaves with a look. 
and oh, the man yeah. just you know sits there on all fours as he you know tears run down in the rain yeah i got a comment on that too i love it she says that zuko steps forward as if he's had so much investment in, in his own pain wrapped up in this that he wants that that satisfaction the release of killing this guy and so he kind of stares at him with that that anger and the guy almost looks like he's got a smile when she turns to walk away and then once he catches eyes with zuko he quickly looks back down and just kind of shakes and i think the attention to detail with the animation in in those regards as well is really well done and zuko just kind of stares at him for a minute like and he just gives up <laughs> it's like you're beneath me and then leaves yeah, again, I think the dynamic with with two of the two of them, and how much Zuko did get wrapped up in her revenge, I I think all that stuff is really really interesting. Yeah, and they all got swept up in this this whole and all these emotions and yeah. and and this just this, this state of mind and yeah, it's not ex- not exactly exhilarating, but yeah, certainly like wow, it's just yeah. not mob mentality, but definitely like wow that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah i wonder if they're gonna just talk about that a couple weeks later like wow remember that crazy like vengeance spree that we went on and he, I, I didn't comment but when you started blunt betting that guy oh man i was scared of my wits <laughs> i never seen anything like that before yep which is probably true he probably he probably didn't even know that blood bending was a thing he's like until that moment what the hell is she doing but uh yeah he's like oh when she when she tell eventually tells him he's like that's mucked up, man. Like, holy smokes. Yeah, and you know, he's... Katara's always been kind of rough and a little bit spooky, like intense. And he's always been kind of, you know, a little on edge with her. I bet at that moment he was like, whoa, she's even more scary and formidable than I than I realized. Yeah, I don't know who's more scary, her or Zula. Yeah, they both have their spooky elements, that's for sure. Yeah, there's... Both ladies I wouldn't want to get in their bad sides. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of growth that i think needs to happen from these two. and i'm not hey i'm not here to you know say my <laughs> i'm you know emotional at all at, at all it's like no just like i just mean in this case like there's still a lot of growth between these these two characters mm. yeah but we do see that the bridge is is definitely built between them definitely a a platform they can stand on as as friends as she you know she's sitting on this bridge and and comes up to her and tells tells that she's he's proud of what she did and proud of what the choice that she made in the end and he's like i'm glad that you could uh, come around to forgive him which honestly i think was a stupid thing for Aang to say why would he say that <laughs> and she's like what no i like i didn't forgive him like what are you talking about and then she notices zuko in the corner she's like well you know if there's one thing that came out of this i did end up forgiving you now so <laughs> standing in the corner he's not in the corner <laughs> i don't know why i said that <laughs> First off, it's not a bridge to dock. I, I apologize for being pedantic. No, not a yeah metaphorical bridge. Not not related to this. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it seems as though Zuko got exactly what he wanted, uh, which is I don't know about full trust, but definitely their relationship is a lot in a in a better position than uh, it was at the start of the episode. Yeah, and I like this bit at the end here. I think it ends on a really impactful little moment there, actually, when Zuko's like, you know, you, you were right, Aang. Violence wasn't the answer. And Aang says, oh, you know, it never is. And seems kind of self-satisfied at the idea. <laughs> until uh, until Zuko pulls out a question for him. What does he say there? 
I have a question for you, Aang. How exactly are you going to handle my father when you see him? And Aang just looks down and... Yeah, no comment. <laughs> as he knew we were hounding him for, you know, getting to learn the firebending. This is the most important question that you have to ask yourself, Aang. How exactly are you going to murder Fire Lord Ozai? Mm. And that's the episode. Yeah, heavy ending to a very heavy episode. And oh boy, I'll jump the line. Usually I ask you your thoughts first. But yeah, no, this this one's a really, really good one. I think, I feel like this is one of those ones that I can go back and watch again and maybe see some stuff I didn't see the first couple times. It feels like there's a lot of layers. The dynamic with Zuko and uh, Azula, which, <laughs> the dynamic with Zuko and Katara, which I've highlighted many times throughout this discussion, I think is very strong. And I, I don't know if we, I don't know if we get this explored much more in the series but maybe i'll find out maybe i'm forgetting some stuff but i wish we had more opportunity to explore that that dynamic between the two of them because i do feel like they have a lot of similarities in them but, but yeah a very strong episode love my vengeance stories this is a a very adequate example of it for avatar i think it's great and uh yeah it'll be a strong one when we tally them all up in the end for this season yeah we have an interesting cycle of this Zuko trilogy as, a, as we come to the end of the Zuko trilogy. Uh, it started like almost in a redemption way. It's still not over, of course, for him, but uh, looking at him as being like Uncle Iroh to each of these characters, he got a lot of growth. I think a ton of growth, actually, with, with Aang. That was that's still the most important episode for him, I'd say. At this point, I mean, uh, because he got to understand uh, a new and a, or a different way, an old way of, of interpreting or of, of achieving firebending. That was that was very important to his character, mm -hmm. uh, especially for with him and Aang. He got to put his, I guess, quick thinking skills to the test with with Zuko or with with Sokka, excuse me, uh, when trying to free. Uh, his father from the uh, the boiling point or the boiling rock, excuse me, and helped that uh, helped him out there. In that it was more of a neutral response, like a neutral uh, stance, but you know, more still positive, I guess, in the way because they both ended up getting along very well. And in this one, he definitely played a little bit more of a person enabling and the enabler to Katara and her vengeance in order to, I guess, get her approval, or at least, you know, to get her to forgive him. Very, very interesting. And he did get what he wanted in the end. And not the cost of bloodshed, but definitely at the cost of Qatar bloodbending again. But hmm. the interesting episode. So it's a, it's definitely a strong one up there. Yeah. No, I, I, I pretty much, you know, agree with what you say. Just, don't have as many like strong like oh yeah this is great because i prefer the firebending masters to this no that one's that one's absolutely another really strong one a lot of really strong episodes so far this season yeah not that this one is pales in comparison it's just like this one's way heavier than that one but that one yeah that one that one brings me fills me with joy this one definitely is you got to be in a mood to watch this one that's fair that's fair and i feel like i'm always in these kind of moods <laughs> um <laughs> 
Maybe that says something about me. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, fair enough. But thank you, Isaac, for once again joining me to discuss some Avatar as as we approach the end. You know, this uh, at least for the, the Avatar last Airbender side of things, we still got tons of core to get to. But oh boy, yeah, it's it's approaching faster than faster than I expected. Yeah, uh, you you uh, you 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 pointed out as it being a bad thing. It's like ah, oh, I don't I don't see it as you know a no, sad no. thing at all. I treat it as a matter of fact. It's like it's just happening. It's it is what it is, and there are cycles. Yeah, who knows? Maybe someday we'll come back to this. I don't know in what capacity, of course, because we'll obviously keep mentioning it, like we always mention Star Wars. But like, you know, it's is what it is. Uh, it's 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 like high school came and went. It's like this. It's going to come and go. But hey, at least we recorded it all. So it's totally fine. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, those in between and affiliated. I don't come here. I don't leave with any words of advice on preaching that you should take the resist the, the path of great resistance or to forgive and forget because mm. a lot of people really, really, really. Uh, I don't care about that and think I'm just full of like, you know, nonsense and whatnot. But maybe I will say this. The universe does not care for revenge, nor does it care for compassion. Till next time. Peace. Peace.